just me, or is the world getting too noisy by half? This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a very, very wet England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your full English breakfast, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. And it is so wet. I tell you what, if it rains any more, I'm going to be floating in a little boat into town of a morning rather than even trying to get my car out. It is raining so hard. And my children keep saying, if it were just a few degrees colder, it would be snow. But then if it were snow, we might be snowed in for Christmas. And that would also be a bit of a nuisance. It's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas, to take part in the contest and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Just listen out for the sign sound bite and call in. Lots of people signing into the chat room. Good morning, good morning. Oh, Denise, um, good morning, all Crusaders. Missed yesterday after a tough, sleepless night. I slept in a bit. Oh, I hope you have turned a corner. It's really miserable when pain keeps you awake. Yes, my poor daughter had two teeth pulled out yesterday and she had a pretty rough night as well oh my goodness yes um we've all had a, a, a little moan about the dentist in the past and uh, no one seems to like going to the dentist I have to say something in defense of dentists though uh, my children's dentist is wonderful he's Iraqi um, and he is he is just he's a really excellent dentist you know very quick, very deft, um, but he's just wonderful with children as well. And he was making her laugh, you know, doing Sylvester the Cat impressions when she started lisping, suffering, fuck it, laugh. Um, but gosh, it's brutal to watch. Oh, my word, having two great big teeth pulled out and she's got to go through the whole, whole process again next week. I mean, th those things that they, they, they put in their mouth, they're like pliers, I mean, it's incredible, you know, the, the crunching and heaving and, oh, my word, yes, it just, ugh, and, and blood. Um, and the teeth of the roots looked so huge when he yanked them out. I, I felt like passing out. I don't know, but she was really brave. I was the one who was in little pieces by the end of it. But thank God for really lovely dentists. Um, what's this in the chat room? Oh, Jacqueline. Your doggy is so sweet. Lots of pictures of dogs would just be perfect. It is, well, it's National Day of the Horse today, so any pictures of horses would also be much appreciated. Um, I love horses. Don't know about you. I'm very, very fond of, I, I love animals generally, but I'm very fond of horses. It is also National Violin Day. And it's on this sort of day that I thank God for the gift of being able to learn how to play the violin. It is such a beautiful instrument. It's the greatest of instruments. And I do love it very, very much. And even though I can't play anymore, I still love listening to the violin being played. All those violin concertos. Just love listening to it. Just love going back down memory lane, remembering playing in an orchestra and all the camaraderie that beautiful instrument gave me. Um, Denise, I'm saying, Jacqueline, your dog has a stuffed pet. He's a lovely dog, really lovely dog. Um, 
tomorrow, I, I thought I'd say this because I'm not on air tomorrow. Um, it's always the fun national days when I'm not around. Is Monkey Day. And I don't know if I like monkeys too, even though they are very, very menacing creatures, quite a nuisance. When I was a child, I grew up near a safari park. It was Britain's first. In fact, it was the first safari park outside of Africa to be built, to be and to, to be created. And it was wonderful for a day out. It was still reasonably cheap to go. They've now made it sky high expensive. But going into the monkey enclosure was the highlight of every trip to the safari park. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of driving through a monkey enclosure. It's great. We just loved it. The monkeys would jump all over the car. Um, they'd uh, start um, attacking the car. Uh, my father absolutely hated them because they'd be trying to rip off the windscreen wipers and the hubcaps, anything detachable. Um, they'd make a complete mess. You were always told to keep your windows up or you'd end up with a few passengers. Um, but... Well, I don't know. We th we children thought it was hilariously funny when they started dismantling the car. Um, I don't think I'd drive my car through a monkey enclosure these days, but there you go. It is also the feast day, most importantly of all, is the feast day of St. Lucy today, where in Sweden they walk around, they get a girl to walk with a candle, a candle crown. Um, I was always a bit put off St. Lucy because of the whole thing with the eyes. I'm a bit squeamish about eyes. And at one Saints and Sinners party when I was a student, someone turned up dressed as St. Lucy with a pair of pickled onions in one hand. And I couldn't even cope with pickled onions for quite a while afterwards. What I find amusing is, you know, with the way people interpret things. Um, obviously, we, when we think about, when we think about St. Lucy, we think of her courage, her purity, the fact that she rejected a marriage she did not believe to be God's plan for her, a marriage to a pagan. And, um, or even though we don't know a lot of the, the details of her death, you know, we have, we have some idea of what it was she died for. Well, a friend of mine in Sweden, who's you know, a complete sort of feminist atheist, thinks of St. Lucy as the patron saint of reproductive rights believe it or not, the patron saint of reproductive rights. And it's just, it, it makes me realise how hard it is to explain that there's so much more to it than that. A, a young woman saying no to a forced marriage. Yes, it is about her in that it's about, you know, her bodily integrity, her right to make choices about the way she lives her life. But there is so much more to it that the, that sense that, no, you've given yourself to God, to the divine bridegroom, that you wish to be a bride of Christ. It, it's, it's, so, it's so very different and so very alien in this world that we live in. And I do find the appropriation of saints for secular causes quite. Yes, and Denny Samsung, how did they ever come up with that idea? Well, this is it. And it's just, you know, where do you even start by trying to explain? Though it's It runs so much deeper, so much deeper. It wasn't about, she, she, it wasn't to do with choice in that sense. It was to do with, you know, the fact that she, you know, she had made a vow to live her life in service of Christ. She had bound herself to another. 
it wasn't about autonomy in that sense. She had bound herself to another. She could not marry a pagan man because she had already bound herself to Christ. You know, it's just open your eyes, people. Um, if that's not too unfortunate a pun on the feast day of St. Lucy. But happy St. Lucy to you all. Anyway, it, this might be the day to pray for Sweden. Let's pray for the conversion of Sweden, shall we? There we go. There are some very holy Catholics in Sweden, by the way. I know one of them. So there we go. Eric Varden. You will sometimes you sometimes see his name because he's written books and things like that. He was at Cambridge. He was he was a graduate when I was just starting, and he's now I think the Bishop of Trondheim or something like that. So there are some very good Christians in Sweden. We just need to pray for the conversion of Sweden, evidently. Um, Yes, so monkey day, horsey day. Come on, any pictures of monkeys and horses in the chat room? Who's going to play? It is also the anniversary of the publication of Wuthering Heights in 1847. I'm one of these awful English graduates who has to admit that I don't actually like the Brontes very much. <clears throat> right, moving swiftly on. But anyway, um, like them or not, and like the hot mess that is Wuthering Heights or not, the publication of Wuthering Heights is quite an exciting moment in literary history because the Brontes decided to hide their femininity um, and their, their true identity by giving themselves pseudonyms. So Emily Bronte became Ellis Bell, Charlotte Bronte was Cura Bell, and Anne Bronte was Acton Bell. Though those are not pseudonyms that remained. They they are ever after were known as Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte, unlike, say, George Eliot, who is only now being republished as Marianne Evans. But the fact that they gave themselves pseudonyms whilst hinting at the fact that they were related, they, they were the same family, it gave this wonderful air of mystery to them. It created a huge amount of speculation. So almost trying to find out who the mysterious bells were was as exciting as reading the books themselves. Um, if you ever find your way... If you ever find your way to England, if there is ever this great pilgrimage, we keep talking about a radio pilgrimage and we get the chance to go up to the north of England, to Yorkshire, you can go to the Brontes house. It has been horribly tweedified. Um, they've put, you know, flowery wallpaper up and things like that. It would have been a pretty dour place to live. Um, and you get no sense of that at all when you visit it today. But it's it's well worth the visit. And of course, the lovely Sarah Taylor, who should be with us again next week, went to school at the school where the Brontes went. So there is a bit of a Bronte connection uh, in this show. It's also the anniversary of the day in 1577 when Sir Francis Drake, pirate, sorry, privateer, set sail from Plymouth with his flagship Pelican along with four other ships and 160 men. His other ships were lost or returned home shortly after the voyage, but the Pelican, which was renamed the Golden Hind, pushed on alone up the coast of Chile and Peru. It continued northwards. The California coast was claimed in the name of Queen Elizabeth. And he crossed the Indian Ocean, rounded the Cape of Good Hope and eventually returned to Plymouth in 1580, 
with treasure worth £500,000. He became the first Englishman to sail around the world and the Queen knighted him aboard his ship at Deptford on the River Thames. I have been to see the replica of the Golden Hind and the scariest thing about it is it's such a small ship. The idea of something, a vessel that small, crossing oceans is absolutely terrifying. I went to see it. It's, um, it's moored on the Devonshire coast. And I went to see it as part of my research for poor banished children. And it really gave me a sense of how claustrophobic sailing would have been at the time. And it's a huge surprise to me that anybody, I mean, absolutely anybody who went to sea ever came back. It was so perilous. It's 22 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash merry. Listen out for the sound bite and call in. We have been talking about, oh, the horrors of the dentist. My daughter is recovering after having two very big teeth pulled out yesterday, and she's got to go through the same process again next week. Um, my other child, one of my other children, has already had his brace fitted. This tooth pulling is, is um, in preparation for braces. Um, my son already has his brace because he didn't have to have any teeth pulled first, and he has an adorable lisp. And I'm trying very hard not to find it funny when he's talking like this, a bit like a little boy and it's so sweet. Um, but I'm sure he will recover his speech before too long and he will not appreciate it if I keep giggling. My first question today. Oh, hang on. There's something yummy in the. Oh, what is this? There's something, speaking of Sweden, have you ever seen the Ikea turkey-sized meatball? Oh my word, Philip, what on earth is that? That is a huge meatball. It's big, it's tasty, it's a proper Christmas. Is that a real thing? Or is that some kind of um, April Fool's Day joke come early? That is a huge meatball. Um, there we go. Um, Dr. Torres, I came in on the word perilous. Well, there's nothing more perilous than entering a bathroom after someone who's lactose intolerant has destroyed the commode. Oh, Dr. Torres, too much information, too much information. I hope you are all right. Um, yes, uh, is, it, it, Maggie, you kind of got there before I did. That is really, really unpleasant. Thank you. Um, I was referring to perilous as in sailing on the golden hind. Yes, I, I made a number of discoveries when walking around the replica of the Golden Hind. It is really small. It is so small to be crossing oceans, terrifyingly small by modern standards. I suppose it was quite big at the time. And it's claustrophobic down there and dark below decks. Um, I went with my auntie Joanna and she screamed when we rounded a corner below decks to the brig and some joker had put a skeleton in chains in there. Um, I also had the unfortunate discovery that the climax of my book was not going to work. I'd envis envisaged a big dramatic climax on board the ship, the pirate ship, where 
a big barrel of gunpowder would be thrown over and there'd be a big scream and and we will all burn. And, and I, then I, I discovered when I was there that it just was never, ever going to work. It's quite a good idea to go on location when you're writing a book about something that is unfamiliar to you. And anyway, Dr. Torres, I hope you have recovered from the um, distressing experience you've had this morning or, or, um, or are you going around with a bucket and mop and rubber gloves uh, dealing with it? Anyway, moving swiftly on. It's all the same to you. Yes. Original question. Is the world too noisy? According to a recent book, 20% of the population of Britain, and I'm sure there's a comparable percentage in the States, 20% of the population of Britain suffer from misophonia. Is anyone familiar with misophonia? It's a word I only recently came across, and I was so glad to hear it because I'm pretty sure I have misophonia. Um, Louise is saying, Dodge Torres, I thought you were a gentleman, but your references to the scatological belie that notion. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cringing about that all day, Dr. Torres. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Yes, horrible, right? Anyway, moving on to something a bit cleaner. Um... Yes, uh, Ashley's saying, even though not Catholic, I'm still impressed with the pilgrims, Puritans who crossed the Atlantic and all those who crossed the Atlantic at any time in a ship. I don't know if I could have put myself through that. Well, okay, I'm going to be a bit uh, now and say, Ashley, I get terribly travel sick. So the idea of getting on a, a ship that's going to bob about like a little cork in the middle of the water just fills me with utter horror. Um the conditions aboard must have been squalid, to say the very least, and just so dangerous. I mean, really, you did put yourself entirely in God's hands in a situation like that. Well, I suppose we should always do that, but you just really had to trust to providence in a in a situation like that. It, there was, you know, if you ended up in the middle of a storm in the middle of the Atlantic, I mean, you you really had had it. It's difficult to see how a ship like that could possibly survive, even. Mild gusts of wind, frankly. Um, sure is, I'm only speaking in general, no recent perilous journeys here. Oh, I see. Really, of all the analogies you could have found? I, that was me thinking you'd had a nasty encounter with an overused commode. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, Philip, I think I've been on private boats that were larger than the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria. They were very small. Well, that's it, isn't it? And... You forget that when you think about ships in the past, because ships are so big today, they're so huge, that we tend to have that sort of scale in mind when we think of ships in the past. No, they were small. And people had to get used to living very, very close and taking huge risks. Yes, no privacy, no comfort every possible peril. I mean, that's why so many references to life at sea in the English language are negative. Almost all are negative. Worst things happen at sea. They definitely do. Landlubbers. Um, it, it's, it's just one of those things. The sea is dangerous and you have to be slightly mad to want to go anywhere near it, particularly in those tiny little crates. So, yes, um, I'm sh I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I've been on on little you know little coast to coast ferries that are a good deal bigger than the Golden Hind was. 
Um, if you look at, say, modern cruise ships, which I think are monstrosities mostly, but if you look at modern cruise ships compared with, say, the Titanic, and that's only just over 100 years ago, um, the size is, I mean, it's, it's off the scale. The, the Titanic looks like a little dinghy by comparison. Um, Dr. Shaw is saying, I can do scatology and eschatology. That's so good to know. Yes, Ashley, very small. Yeah. Um, Denise, um, I can't even consider the journey across the sea in those tiny boats. No. And of course, today you do get people doing these, you know, circumnavigating the world in tiny little dinghies and things. But even then, it's not quite the same. It is still pretty dangerous to put out to sea in a little boat. Um, if you get stuck in the middle of the Pacific, then God help you. But we do at least have Coast Guard. We have lifeboats. We have helicopters. It, it is theoretically, at least, possible to rescue someone if they get into difficulties in the middle of the ocean. Whereas in those days, you were on your own. You know, sink or swim, sink, almost always. So, uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I'm wonderful that our ancestors did these things. I'm so glad I don't have to contemplate it. Um, Ashley's saying, I remember seeing stats one year that the deadliest job in the US was not a cop, but a fisherman. Yeah, I can imagine that completely. Absolutely imagine that. Um, Paul C. Hello, Denise M. How is the knee recovery coming along? Yes, we'd all like to know. We're all praying, Denise. Sounds like you've had a bit of a rough time recently. Yes, I can imagine. Um, certainly being a fisherman would be one of the most dangerous jobs. I was looking at other things that are, that are I think, um, being a courier apparently is also a very dangerous job because of going everywhere on a motorbike. The chances of having an accident if you're on a motorbike all day, every day, till late at night, um, it's, it's not good. Um, Louise is saying, Dr. Torres, I prefer your role as the early show's erudite misanthrope to the morning vulgarian. Hear, hear, Louise. Absolutely. I completely agree with it. Did you hear that, Dr. Torres? Did you? Yeah. Um, Philip is saying, I think the hind only had space for 40 crew to sleep. There were over 100 crews, so everything was done in shifts. Yeah. Um, and even with the idea of 40 crews sleeping, when I think about what it looked like, you had to be pretty um, comfortable with your crew, shall we say, with your crewmates. I don't imagine there would have been much room for, you know, just rolling over in the middle of the night or anything like that. Um, it's it's extraordinary to think of it. Just Maybe people got themselves thrown into the brig just to get some privacy. There's a thought. Um, Dr. Torres, hey, it all started with Dingaling Day yesterday. No, don't take us back to Dingaling Day, please. Um, we don't need to go back to that. It's Horse Day. It's National Day of the Horse. Now, what can possibly go wrong talking about horses? Um, I can just hear the intro music, out, out, out cue music, as we, as I say it. It's also National Cocoa Day. Can we talk? Look, there's a nice, a nice wholesome thing to talk about. A nice mug of hot chocolate. What's wrong with that? Hmm. Yes, uh, Denise, um, considering I was just a-strapping my legs, it's rather painful at the moment. Um, good days and bad days. Oh, well, I suppose let's just hope there's more good days than bad days, you know. Um, slowly, slowly, the good days should outweigh the bad. Louise saying, yes, Dr. Torres, it was all downhill from there. So it's National Dingaling Day. What did it? OK, splendid. Can we just put all thoughts of dingalings out of our heads, please? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, would that, be, would that be possible? Because 
Otherwise, Mike will put dreadful music on and it will be dreadful, won't it? So let's talk about nice, wholesome things like the feast day of St. Lucy. I've just realised why I woke up this morning to Santa Lucia singing on the radio. It is because it is St. Lucy. Classic FM got it right. There we go. It's Saint Lu- think St. Lucy. Think St. Lucy. Right. Nice music. Nice music associated with St. Lucy, Mike. Not anything to do with dingalings, okay? Anything else is fine. Right, we've got to go to an ad break on that savoury note. Um, but please do stay tuned. You are listening to The Early Show. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat do talk to me do join the conversation we are talking saint lucy horse day monkey day coco day we are not talking commodes thank you dr torres and misophonia what is misophonia you have until after the ad break to work it out the early show will continue in a few moments here on the crusade channel live talk radio the way it should be with tangerine trees and marmalade skies Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly A girl with colliders go Midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to the early show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call in telephone number is 844 527 8723. That's 844 527 8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do join the conversation about horses and things as you enjoy a hearty breakfast on this feast day of St. Lucy. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast same day from crusademax.com. And 
Let me say it out loud. Congratulations, Mike, on two wonderful choices of music. I just knew Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was coming. I just knew it was coming. Um, but, oh, the never-ending story. It takes me back to being about seven. Anyone else admit that they cried when the horsey died? Anyone else remember that? Oh, dear. Biggest tearjerker ever. Though my children know about the never-ending story because of Stranger Things because it's Dustin's favourite song. He and his Mormon girlfriend, Susie, sing it to one another in this iconic moment over the airwaves. They have watched the film, though, and they loved it too, particularly the big pink dragon. Can't remember what the big pink dragon's name is, but it was just wonderful. We all fantasised about having a ride on the big pink dragon. Philip, what is Bojack Horseman? Um, I'm just... I'm so, oh no, that, that, that Philip, there he is. There is it. Was it? What's the name of the um? Oh, what's the name of the, the hero of the Neverending Story? And there he is with his horsey. Oh, there. Um. Now Ashley asked for National Violin Day. Please have some nice violin intro music. Oh dear. Um. Maybe on the way out, we'll have some nice violin music. How about the Bruch Violin Concerto, the final movement? Or the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto? Or Vivaldi's Four Seasons? There's plenty to choose from when it comes to violin. I remember my violin teacher telling me when I was about 16, if you practised for eight hours a day, every day, for the rest of your life, you would only be able to play, not even to rehearsal standard, about a third of all the repertoire for violin. There is so much of it. There's a thought. Denise M. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Appropriate, perhaps, but the uppercase letters spell out LSD. Weird acid trip. I heard, my English teacher told me that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds isn't actually about drugs. It's that um, one of them had a, a a child called Lucy, and she drew a picture, you know, a little child picture of a sort of stick man um, with lots of stars behind her. And that was the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. However, it does sound very peculiar. The lyrics are really, really odd. It does sound very much like they were on some kind of acid trip. Um, Patriot 21, it's getting really, really getting late. Disregard my last... Um, didn't see it. I think it's been excised. King Dude saying, Little Julian Lennon did present Wacko Dad John with a drawing. He captioned Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. There we are. It's not, it was not just our English teacher trying to draw us away from the subject of drugs. Goody good. Um, Dr. Torres, that horse is huge. Speaking of horses, I absolutely love the Percheron. Percheron, Percheron breed, your average farm horse around these parts can't handle my girth, so I need a war horse. That, look at the size of it. I mean, it's towering over the three adults next to it. Look at that magnificent creature. That is just incredible. Look at the size of that animal. I'm not sure I'd be able to get on it. Um, the King Dude uh, saying they actually show it in Beatles Anthology and... Paul Mack says that's why they called the song about Lucy, Lucy in the Sky. There we are. Yes, yes Maggie, Maggie is noticing what I've noticed. It's a huge horse, massive horse. Philip, who is the chappy sitting on the, on the tree stump playing the violin? Um, okay, the King Dude is saying that horse is 25 hands tall. 
that Dr. Torres is saying when you weigh 290 pounds, you need a horse that won't buckle. Well, indeed. Denise M. still can't ignore the coincidence with the letters. It was a time of lots of acid trips. Well, yes, that's the thing. Though, um, somebody showed me a photograph. I mean, I almost wondered if it had been doctored because it was just so funny of um, some sort of some, some church or other which had three banners worship what's it um worship truth worship teaching sorry fellowship and it did spell wtf and they couldn't work out whether the people who designed the banners were just a bit too old to be aware of that acronym or some millennial member of the congregation was having a laugh now, the huge horse is popular in the chat room. Love that huge horse, Denise Sam, saying very impressive and perhaps intimidating. Can you imagine that as a police horse? I mean, you'd really want to behave yourself. Um, yes, Dr. Torres, classic, not horrid music at all. It wasn't dreadful music. It was wonderful. And yes, never-ending story. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and it seems like the never-ending story is popular too. Maggie saying, watched the never-ending story just the other day. Was it as wonderful as you remembered? Sometimes going back to a childhood classic is a bit of a disappointment, but um, I have to say the never-ending story wasn't for me when I watched it with my children. Yes, Lady Bell, I mean too. I, I think you're saying a love never-ending story. Philip, this commercial scares me every time. I listen on earbuds, so it's quite all of a sudden the knocking gets me. I think the tyre blew on the truck. Um, awesome sound mixing. The King Dude is saying... Um, have yourself checked into the nut house if you don't like the never ending story or its theme. Lady Bell, I mean, excellent song intro this time, Mike. Thanks. There we are. You've got it right. Oh, it's Artax the horse. Yes, Maggie still cries when the horse dies. Artax, come on, Artax. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I can, I can see the scene. I can see him slipping beneath the, the mud. Oh, dear. Um, uh, Lady Bellarmine saying, yes, Fiola, I did too. I love that movie. I cannot even tell you how many times I saw it. And I remember being about nine, so I feel the same. Yes, it just takes you right back, doesn't it? Atreyu, thank you, Maggie, is the hero of The NeverEnding Story. Atreyu and Artax is the, the horse. Yes, it's, it's funny. There are certain things, certain, certain music, certain films that just take you right back, don't they? Um, yes, Philip saying, I still cry when Artax dies. Falker is the dragon. Atreyu is the boy. There we are. Wow. Um, Dr. Torres uh, saying that The NeverEnding Story was a great film, but who else remembers these other classic movies? Aha! It's quiz time. The Labyrinth. Dr. Torres, I was scared witless by The Labyrinth when I saw it in the cinema as a, as a small child. My children think it's weird and silly. They didn't get it at all. They couldn't understand why I was so frightened by it. I was petrified of David Bowie. Sorry, just, re just really, really scary. Um, Kroll, don't remember. Dragon Slayer, no, don't remember. Beastmaster, anyone remember Beastmaster? Don't, no, why do I not remember any of these films? Willow, The Dark Crystal. Ah, The Dark Crystal was a recommendation, I think possibly from you, Dr. Torres. Um, Alan R. S. V. 1958, saying, I saw Kroll and The Dark Crystal. Um... Oh, Maggie's saying, does anyone know what the mother's name is that is shouted at the end of the movie, The Neverending Story? Oh, I don't rem I remember him shouting, but I don't remember what he was shouting. No, I don't, didn't remember that. Um, 
Philip St. Kroll was a favourite of mine. Dr. Torres also, one of my all-time faves. Lady Bellarmine saying one of my favourite pictures of my daughter when she was very little. She had to be about three. She's on a Belgian war horse. The fellow who put her up there could barely reach to even put her on the horse. If I wasn't driving, I'd post the picture in the chat room. Oh, that's a beautiful memory to have. Um, Dr. Torres saying I might have to watch Krull again soon. It's been years. PDCCO don't even remember the movie. Then you have to watch it again. Um, Maggie remembers all of those. A king dude saying Tom Cruise was in Willow, right? Well, I'm not the person to ask the question. Answer the question, I'm afraid. Yes, Alan needs to watch it again. Okay, Maggie's asking which was your favourite, Dr. Torres, and Dr. Torres says Krull is my favourite, but I'll watch them all again. Everyone's talking about Krull. I'm going to have to look up Krull. Okay. Oh, PDCCO, The Princess Bride, best movie ever. Oh, come on. Who can top The Princess Bride? Loved it. Um, as indeed as indeed did my children when I showed it. It was one of the classic films I showed them during lockdown. We watched a classic film every week, and The Princess Bride was one of them. Um, Philip is saying Van Kilmer was in Willow. Oh, Maggie said, remember, Bastian had to give the princess a name. Oh, Dr. Torres, that's a scene from Krull. Okay. Why is there a Cyclops? Is it the Odyssey or um, a take on the Odyssey? Or did they just think it would look creepy? Because they could do prosthetics by then. There we go. Oh, here we go. Krull. I have not even heard of this film, I'm ashamed to say. It completely passed me by. Oh, I tell you, here's an 80s film I do remember. Honey, I Shrank the Kids. How many people watched that? Come on. And cried when the ants died. Yes, that, that's, that's about how emotionally deep it ran. You cry when an ant dies. Um, I was a bit more spooked by the moment when they, they almost get eaten in the... In the they, they all fall into the father's cereal bowl and nearly get eaten. Um, Maggie saying Princess Bride was my all-time favourite, but Never Ending Story is right up there too. Lady, Lady Bellarmine, I've seen all the movies you just mentioned in the chat room quite a few times. I must have been the same age. I must be the same age as all the people in here. We should hang out more. Ashley, you've never heard of Krull. Oh, it's not just me then, thank goodness. Alan saying, I distinctly remember that weapon and I haven't seen the film since it came out. Okay, right. Well, it seems like there were quite a few. Was Flash Gordon an 80s film? I'm not going to call it a classic. That was really awful. I remember having to sit through that at a friend's house and thinking I was going to die of boredom. It was so weird. Didn't they have Brian Blessed playing Ming? Um, oh, here's the, okay, here's the synopsis. Thank you, Dr. Torres. On the planet of Kroll, an evil creature called the Beast decimates the world's army and kidnaps the lovely princess Lissa, Lisette Antony, who is destined to become queen. Her brave beau, Prince Colwyn, Ken Marshall, leads a motley band of warriors, including Ergo, David Batley and Keegan, Liam Neeson, right, that's a reason for me not to watch it, to rescue his beloved. However, before he must face the beast, Colwyn must locate a mystical weapon known as the glaive, which he can, he can use to slay the hideous villain. If it's got Liam Neeson in it, I'm not watching it. Um, yes, 1980s, it was 1980s. Thank you, Alan. Paul C., Princess Bride is one of my favourites. I've heard of those others, but I've never been a big fan of those fantasy films. Give me documentaries. I'm not really into the fantasy genre, though. I did warm to it rather when Lord of the Rings came out. 
Alan say, I never saw Flash Gordon uh, from the 80s, though. Oh, the glaive, that was it. Um, Lady Bell, I mean, we must have watched a lot of the same movies. I know all the ones you guys were talking about, the chat room, my people. Um, whereas Denise, um, not seen any of these movies. Well, there we are. No, Flash Gordon you can keep. I just, I think it's, am I right that Flash Gordon has Timothy Dalton in it, who then became James Bond? Um, just, I'm just trying to remember. It is all a huge blur of really bad hairstyles and the sort of special effects that my children now would probably fall out of the window laughing about. Yes, uh, I, I think I probably would not put Flash Gordon on that list. Though I, I heard a rumour that the Queen liked it, the late Queen. I'm not sure if that's just a, just a rumour. I can't quite see it myself. Anyway, well, we seem to have moved on to the subject of 80s films, thanks to the intro music. Thank you, Mike. Um, Paul C... Oh, here we are. Um, Alan, so I, have, I had the Krull Atari game. Oh, wow, now that really dates you. Atari. I never had an Atari, but my friend did. Um, Paul C., Lord of the Rings is in a completely different league than those other films. Absolutely. And really, it was... I mean, I did watch a lot of those 80s films just because it was the thing everybody everyone was watching and talking about but lord of the rings was the first fantasy film i really got drawn into um i just um oh i don't know i just I, I loved it i hadn't read the books yet after i watched the first film the fellowship of the ring i then read the whole trilogy and i just i got lost in middle earth you know it was just oh it's so lovely when i read the final book when i got to the end i even read the appendices just to keep the reading experience going i closed the book i was just coming into london i was commuting to london at the time and was absolutely miserable i felt so sad to be leaving middle earth lady bellarmine saying ryan brian blessed played the head eagle guy ming was played by max von snydout whoever he, um head eagle guy I can't, oh gosh, as I say, it's mostly a blur now. Um, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, a, a Caucasian being painted up to look sort of vaguely Chinesey with a name like Ming. Oh dear, there are there are there are awkward little little um, eggshells all over the place there. Anyway, um, it is 57 minutes past the hour. You are listening to the early show with your hostess Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. And it's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. To take part in the contest, to get your tickets and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes, go to crusadechannel.com forward slash merry. Listen out for the soundbite and call in. We seem to be talking about 80s sci-fi. I did not choose this topic, might I add. It has something to do with the intro music. The great intro music, by the way, Mike. Great intro music. Never-ending story that has taken us on a little tangent down memory lane. And Lady Bell, I mean, is telling me, yes, D Timothy Dalton is the Green Prince in Flash Gordon. Yes, I'm sure. I remember thinking, oh, didn't he become really famous eventually? There we go. Timothy Dalton was also Mr. Rochester in the 80s adaptation of Jane Eyre. There is an adaptation of Jane Eyre every decade. That was the 80s one. And Timothy Dalton was the handsome hero. 
he was also oh, now I'm just thinking because it's also the anniversary today of the publication of Wuthering Heights he also played Heathcliff in the sort of late 70s adaptation of Wuthering Heights and he's pretty good because I don't particularly like the story I didn't especially like the film um but he as I as I recall he he does rather look the part I just remember uh, watching that version of Wuthering Heights with my husband and at one point he went oh is this the iconic scene where Kathy runs across the moors shouting Heathcliff and I said well I'm not sure because she spends half the film running around the moors shouting Heathcliff get a life um oh more films Philip Big Trouble in Little China no idea Stand By Me never heard of it The Explorers nope the Goonies, it's been mentioned on this show as part of a film recommendation list, but never yet watched it. Enter the Dragon, no. Sorry, I am not as much of a film buff as I thought I was. There we go. Anyway, um, keep, keep the film recommendations coming. Has anyone got an answer to my question? What is misophonia? What is misophonia? Is the world too noisy or is it true that 20% of us suffer from misophonia? Um, Maggie loves Stand By Me and The Goonies and PDCCO. Oh, big trouble in Little China. Great film. I just feel like, do you know, I'm beginning to feel like the kid who's been, who's been left out of the party. I've never, ever heard of any of these. Gosh, how embarrassing. Right. Maggie saying, made my nephew watch The Goonies with me not long ago, and he loved it. It's nice when that happens. I've had so many situations where I've got my children to watch a film I loved when I was a child, and they've just looked askance at me and gone, what on earth was that about? Why was that funny? Why was that interesting? Oh, the special effects. Oh, gosh, the acting. Oh, the really rude comments. Oh, the racism. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yes. Um, just sometimes, though, they'll watch a classic and love it, and I feel like I've achieved something. Yes. Anyway, here's me desperately trying to drag the topic back to what I was going to talk about, but don't worry. Great movies for young boys is a good thing to think about. I shall tell you what my children did enjoy. And it's quite written naughty's film. They're both naughty's films. Is Night at the Museum. And the second Night at the Museum. I think they were made in the early noughties. And, you know, they're very charming films and quite uh, they're quite educational as well because it's all about history, because the the different exhibits in the museum come to life in the middle of the night. So you actually you the children are supposed to learn a little bit about Abraham Lincoln and about you know, the Native Americans and things like that. Um, what is that? Oh, that's the that's the poster for the Goonies. Okay, Doctor um, Who's Big Trouble in Little China. Kurt Russell, The Golden Child, as well. Eddie Murphy. Everyone knows about the Truffle Shuffle. Um, I don't. What is the Truffle Shuffle? Okay, there are definitely still films being made that are. That's from the Goonies. Okay, the Truffle Shuffle. Oh, good grief. Would you say Pirates of the Caribbean is in the same genre? Um, just asking, because I have actually watched Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, adventure story, treachery on the high seas, monsters. That's what I'm just thinking of that because of that, that picture in the poster, the sort of the skeleton with the pirate hat. Oh, here we go, Philip. Lone Wolf. What's this? Lone Wolf McQuaid. McQuaid? Indiana Jones. I watched Indiana Jones. 
I did watch Indiana Jones. I got very, very deeply spooked by the dining room scene, you know, the, the, the dinner scene where they, which one is that? Is that the Temple of Doom where they're eating barbecued spiders and eating eyeball soup and things like that? It was really, really um, very unpleasant. It still slightly turns my stomach. Uh, Mad Max, no, never never watched it. Maggie, this show has now become all about classic movies. I'm not mad about it at all. What a trip down memory lane. Yes, okay, I'm going to give up on my own my own topic of the show and let's just let it run, shall we? Um, let's let it go. Though, um, I will say about Indiana Jones, um, my children have watched The Temple of Doom. I don't think they've watched the other ones, but we did have quite a laugh at the moment where he's trying to work out, you know, there are riddles he's got to work out. And there was a thing about what does the penitent do? And we were all shouting, get on your knees, get on your knees, get on your knees, get on your knees. Get on your knees. What does a penitent do? Mm, what does a penitent do? Get on your knees. And at the last second, as the big sword's about to cut off his head, he falls to his knees. He was like, well, if he'd been a good Catholic, he would have known that. And he would have not been quite so close to having his head cut off. Um, Food and movies, great show, Paul C. Well, there we go. Yes, you've got Coco Day. We've got giant meatballs and classic films, most of which I have never come across. Dr. Torres is saying off genre, but Hitchcock's Rope is a classic to watch. Um, nothing ever held you like Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Never seen that one. Seen a few Hitchcocks, uh, but not that one. The the one I most remember is The Lady Vanishes. Um, Paul C. How about all those John Hughes films from the 80s? Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. No idea about any of those. I don't know who John Hughes was. Sorry, I forgot to put mute on. Um, oh, Philip, I'm ashamed to admit one of my favourite 90s movies is Waterworld. Well, I haven't watched Waterworld, but wasn't it voted the worst film ever or something like that? Or am I, am I wrong about that? Um, I'm, I'm sure I remember reading somewhere that it was one of the worst rated films ever. OK, but if you liked it, then there must have been something good about it, Philip. What was good about what was good about Waterworld? Dr. Torres, Pretty in Pink. How have I not heard of any of these? What's pretty in pink about? Is it a kind of prequel to the Barbie film? Um, Lady Bell, I mean, my favourite Indiana Jones is The Last Crusade. We'll watch. My late mother-in-law, God rest her soul, was quite a fan because she liked Harrison Ford, but also she was an archaeologist by training. She, she then became a teacher, but she studied archaeology and anthropology at Cambridge. And... Apparently, when the Indiana Jones came out, there was a massive surge of interest in archaeology. But a lot of it was people did imagine that they were going to be you know, clinging to the sides of trains and finding the Holy Grail and stuff like that. So it must have been a bit of a come down when all these very, very overexcited archaeology students then went to spend their lives, you know, brushing bits of mud off Viking artefacts. Um, Dr. Torres, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I loved Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Really love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Magnavox is saying planes, trains and automobiles. Um, I don't know that one. I know those magnificent men in their flying machines, uh, but I think that's a different film. Um, 
Philip is saying it's awful, but the coolest boat ever. Okay, so Waterworld is in fact as genuinely awful as everyone says it is, but it's got a really great boat. Okay. Oh, Maggie likes planes, trains, and automobiles. No, I've got to register a. I have no idea. Um, I did quite like um, some of those films that were, I don't think they were eighties though. I think they were like the um, the one about the the race, the Monte Carlo, Monte Carlo or bus. These um, sort of, I think they I think they were seventies rather than eighties. Maggie saying, what? Waterworld? That was a terrible movie. Did, did anyone actually watch Water? Apart from Philip, who else watched Waterworld? Because all I know about it is it's one of the worst rated films ever, so I'm not going to watch it. But apparently it's got a good boat. According to Philip, it has a good boat. Can someone verify, does it have a good boat? Lady Bellarmine saying, I'm having cocoa while we're talking about classic movies. So your theme still fits, Fiorella. That is just wonderful. This time of year... A nice mug of cocoa is just perfect. Dare I say it, it's even better than tea. Um, I'm, the first thing I do when my children come home, my children who are at school, when they get home, my children who are homeschooling put down their pens and we all have a nice mug of cocoa each with a little bit of cream and maybe some biscuits. There we are. It, and it's, it's a really nice way to end a busy work day. And then while they're getting out their homework and things like that, I can be putting on the dinner. Philip is saying, Maggie, I told you I was embarrassed. Well, it's all right, Philip. Anyone can, you know, anyone can can confess an embarrassing habit in the chat room because we're only on air. I'm, I'm sure nobody's listening. <laughs> Let's face it. I've been, I've admitted much more embarrassing things on air. Don't worry. Um, the thing is, you see, when I'm standing here, sitting here at the microphone, chatting away, I just have this sense I'm talking to friends, and I sometimes forget that I'm actually live on radio and that technically anyone can be listening it's very easy to forget um ashley hot chocolate versus tea hot chocolate is the best drink ever oh yes it's just comforting it's sweet it's hot it's comforting hopefully by this evening poor old francesca can have her hot chocolate because she was banned from all warm warm or hot foods after having her teeth out by this evening she should be able to settle down to a hot chocolate as well maggie saying um you definitely should be embarrassed philip <laughs> yes yes what are you what are you going to confess you know when, when you get to saint peter's saint peter at the end of time uh, you know at the end of your life or say well um could we just not mention to the almighty the thing about Waterworld? yeah um no it's not a sin to like Waterworld. Um, Alan is saying, I haven't seen Rope, but it was a movie my daughter saw in her elective in high school last year. She liked it. Maggie saying, that's the best part about your show, if you're under fire. Oh, thank you. It's just the way it's sort of turned out, hasn't it? Um, and we can always talk about my topic of choice another time. Um, Louise saying, Dr. Torres, I will watch Rope. I thought I'd heard of all of Hitchcock's films, but this is a new one to me. I hadn't heard of Rope either. I've, I've heard of most of Hitchcock's films, even if I haven't seen them. Um, Dr. Torres is saying worse than Waterworld was Battlefield Earth um, an L. Ron Hubbard flick never heard of it 
Maggie Singh. It's very much like friends just hanging out, having a nice chat about whatever while drinking coffee. This is it, you know, It's this is what I enjoy. Um, Philip saying, I love League of Extraordinary Gentlemen too. Oh, now, I've never seen that, but I did see A League of Their Own. It was a school film once. That was the first time I'd ever come across baseball. And to this day, I don't really still understand how baseball works. I think it might be a little bit like our rounders, but it was a really interesting film um, about uh, based on a real story, I think. Alan saying The Black Hole by Disney was one I really liked as a kid. Again, that's a Disney film. I thought I knew them all. I've never heard of that one. The Black Hole. Okay. Um, I'll tell you one really awful, really awful 1970s film someone tried to get me to watch once. And I have a feeling I'm going to be in trouble because it involves Sean Connery, who I cannot stand. And that was Soylent Green. Sorry, am I going to be shot down in flames? The Soylent Green was awful. I got about halfway through and I just, I actually said, I can't take any more of this. I think I said something ruder than that and left and everyone laughed. It was, it was like the, it was like the population bomb adapted for film. It was so bad. And even with, was it Charlton Heston and Sean Connery, it was not enough to make it watchable for me. Or does anyone else think I'm completely wrong and Soylent Green is the best film ever? Oh, Philip, Buckaroo Bonzi. No, not come across that one either. Um, I'm just wondering about... Ross is saying Sean Connery wasn't in that movie. I thought he plays the father. Doesn't Sean Connery play the father in Soylent Green? Am I misremembering? I thought Charlton Heston was the, the main character, the hero policeman or whatever he is and i thought sean connery played the father um dr torres saying i liked league but didn't king dude mention connery turning down lord of the Ring rings for league no one remembers league now lol um that's the thing isn't it i mean just sometimes actors have to make these decisions and sometimes i guess they make the wrong decision it can be very hard to know what's going to be the big hit and what isn't um i found out the other day that um the, I've, I've mentioned this absolute cult classic british comedy only fools and horses about the two cockney traders del boy and rodney and i heard the other day that sir anthony hopkins um was you know he's, well we all know sir anthony hopkins he was a lifelong fan of only fools and horses and he was offered a small role in one of the specials and he was going to play a gangster there, there, there were these very sinister gangsters called the driscoll brothers who um beat people up and frighten everyone um and they're only in this one episode and he was going to play the elder of the driscoll brothers and he would have been wonderful the person who does play danny driscoll is good but can you imagine sir anthony hopkins as danny driscoll but he was just about to start filming the silence of the lambs so he had to pull out uh, but, oh, that would have been paradise, having Sir Anthony Hopkins in an episode of Only Fools and Horses. Uh, the King Dude, Soylent Green is people as food, by the way. So I suppose that covers that covers both topics of today, doesn't it? Classic movies and food. Um, I never got to that bit. I was told afterwards that that's what those pellets are that they eat. It's that they recycle people and turn them into food pellets. Um, I got to the bit where they start slapping about those women and I just... 
I don't know. I, I'd had enough by then. It was stretching my patients really, really seriously by this stage. Um, and I think they all, they don't they eat different soylent, soylent pellets or something? Oh, I don't know. I just thought it was silly. Um, Eddie and the Cruisers. Matty P58, 55, uh, 85. I'm tired. Sorry. Gosh, not come across this. What's this about? Um, Mike, are you there to join the classic film discussion? Yes. Okay, so what's your favourite classic film? So you liked Soylent Green, didn't you? Uh, Soylent Green is dystopian. I hated it. I'm not a great fan of dystopian films anyway, but... Oh, it was Edward Robinson was the elder man in Soylent Green. Why did I think Sean Connery was in Soylent Green? I don't think he... No, we looked it up. He wasn't. Mm. No. Maybe so I don't like Sean Connery and I didn't like Soylent Green, so I just stuck them together. <laughs> well, you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Mm. Sean Connery's dead. Well, sorry, and I have to say, well, his films were great, by the way. I loved him. <laughs> no, <laughs> you just don't work? say anything bad. I'm not saying, I just don't like him as an actor, okay? <laughs> you don't like him because he was James. If he'd never been James Bond, you'd probably love him. Um, I, I can't pretend I wasn't prejudiced by the fact of, of having to sit and watch Doctor No, <laughs> which is terrible. The terrible film. He did a lot more. Uh, his uh, uh, is working later in, in life, like when he was in The Rock. That was good. Uh, with Nicolas Cage when he was the submarine commander in The Hunt for Red October. Ah, now, now that one I have seen, but I, well, actually, I can't say I've seen seen it. I, I got through the first 10 minutes and then fell fast asleep. I, I had young children at the time. So The Hunt for Red October is a Tom Clancy novel that turned into, uh, might have been the first one that they made a film of. And uh, Connery plays the, the Russian sub-commander who, a very young uh, Eric Byron, before he was fat, sinful, and ugly, and murderous. Uh, Alec Baldwin plays a very young Jack Ryan. And he, right. you know, he's written a bio of the, that, uh, that sub-commander. And he goes, no, he's trying to defect. I'm telling you, he's trying to defect. I know this guy. It's a good movie. It's a really good. Who directed Hunt for Red October? Was that, I want to say that was McTiernan. It was one of those guys that was around in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. That was a really good kind of action. Directed by John McTiernan. It was McTiernan. <laughs> I got it right. So McTiernan did Die Hard, which you would hate. Uh, McTiernan did Predator, <laughs> which you probably would not like, but uh, young Hugh probably would. Um, but McTiernan was a was a, was a guy that directed those kind of uh, otherworldly action films. But he did action films as well. He's, he, he, uh, McTiernan films kind of have like an imprimatur on them, or uh, that's, that's the wrong word. They have a mark on them. Okay. Yeah, the action, uh, it starts at the beginning. There's very little time for buildup. He jumps right in. <laughs> right. And starts going, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and pretty much keeps the tension up for the remainder of, uh, of the film. I was surprised to say that, he, that you didn't like when you saw it as an adult, never-ending story. No, no, I did. I said uh, it's, it's very annoying sometimes. You know, when you see things that you saw as a child and loved them, and then you see them as an adult and don't like them anymore. No, I, I liked Neverending Story when I saw it again. I think it's because um, uh, uh, at the time when Neverending Story came out, we were all amazed by the by the special effects. 
Yeah, incredible. Yeah, uh, but today you look at it and go like, oh, dude, that's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, special effects, it's, it's, it's a bit cringe in that sense. But then pretty much any film before the noughties is a bit cringe like that. Yeah, they you have to accept uh, it. <laughs> they did. They 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 uh, they did what they could. Um, yeah. it's a, a, a interesting. Uh, okay, do, do you know how they did most of that? They have they had an actual piece of hardware, a piece of equipment. It's called an optical printer. No, I'd never heard of that. So what they do is they film both the scenes, and they uh, use a process that we old school artists are. Are there any old school classically trained? print a desktop to to print top uh, uh artist out there like uh, that i have a associate's degree in you would make a thing called a mat and, mm-hmm. uh, and you'd use the mat basically to drop the background out uh you would only see the foreground and the mask would mask the background and a piece of film would see that as basically as nothing and so then okay. you could put one piece of film over top of another and make it look like they were both together on the same set. Okay. That's how they did it. And that's why it usually looks cheesy because it's, it's almost impossible to get the lighting correct both times. Yeah, so you could always see a kind of outline. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's the effect of the mask. You're going to have that with a mask because you, know, you couldn't make a mask that was, that was, uh, that was absolutely perfectly cut. Around okay. the subject. Anyway, that's how they did. So when you go back and you watch the never-ending story or something like that, you go, oh, that's uh, the special effect is so bad. <laughs> Which well, is why George Lucas, when he re-released the, the Star Wars movies on DVD in the late 90s, when DVDs were all the rage and he first came out, you know, he kind of snuck back into the uh, editing suite and they removed... Some of the the uh, the space battle scenes and stuff, they removed them and put CGI generated ones in there. People were angry about it because because they, they wanted the original. But it was because the original was awful. No, 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 no. no, no but it's because it was too because it was too obvious. Well, to him it was too obvious. Anyway, well, I can I can fix it, so I might I might as well. Um, I don't think you should do that. I think you should let the the film or the book or whatever stand as the work that it was. Be kind of like you going like, oh, but I've learned so much since I wrote that mystery novel. Maybe I'll go back and change the ending. No, you can't. Um, can't you? If you want to write a, if you don't, okay, well then don't be lazy and write a sequel. Well, you you might not be able to. I mean, if, if you learn something, I mean, may, no, maybe you just have to let things stand. I don't know. I mean, I've I've had situations where I've discovered things after the after the effect. I mean, you can't keep fiddling with the text indefinitely. It's true. Yeah, and that way, if you do, then you'll ne- you have a work that never ends. Yeah, and that happens. And, I mean, well, it, and uh, the ten the temptation to keep fiddling with a work until you you pretty much kill it is is huge. And any good editor will eventually say stop. You you have to stop. Um, yeah, yes. So, yeah. Stop uh, stop fiddling with it. <laughs> stop, yeah. Stop messing up <laughs> with it. Well, because most most writers are perfectionists to some extent or other. So yes, you you have to be gently told at some point that that's enough. And if you were trying to do the same thing with a film, then you would just keep going back to the editing room and you. Well, I saw this cut of it, so I went back and I edited it. Uh, or I went back and changed this. There's only one instance, and this is kind. Of, this is the rarity of all rarities. You ever heard of Orson Welles' film, A Touch of Evil? 
No, the only one of his I know is The Third Man, I think. Okay. So, Wells uh, made a movie in 1961, 62, somewhere up in there, maybe 63, 64. Charlton Heston is the lead character, and it's called A Touch of Evil, and it is about a town that sits on the Texas-Mexico border, and there are basically early cartels, gangs that come over from Mexico and commit uh, crime and traffic illegal substances into this little small Texas town. And Orson Welles is the sheriff, and somebody gets killed, murdered. And I want to say that Janet Lee's in it, too, from Psycho. <clears throat> I've seen it. I have it. I actually have it on DVD. Because here's what happened. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the film... Uh, uh, Wells' contract, uh, the one that the, that RKO gave him, that gave him basically like carte blanche. He could do anything he wanted in any of his movies, and the studio couldn't do anything about it. When in the middle yep. of filming The Touch of Evil, the contract expired. Right. And so the studio was getting dailies, what they mm -hmm. called dailies, from the set, and they didn't like it. Right. Now, they were almost finished the principal filming. As a matter of fact, they had finished the principal filming. And because or, Orson, uh, Orson Welles, uh, people don't know this. I mean, this guy was a, when you say filmmaker, he really was. Like, he edited his own films. I didn't know that. Yeah, he didn't send, he didn't send on other people to edit. He actually sat there in the edit, editing room and edited them. So they finished making the film, A Touch of Evil. They actually made a big documentary about this when it happened, when it was discovered back in, I don't know, 2000, 1998, 99, somewhere up around in there. So what happened was is the studio got a preliminary. This is just Wells kind of stitching together the um, uh, uh, what he had shot. And they got the preliminary and didn't like it, so they fired him. And they brought in, oh gosh, who did they bring? I'm trying to remember who they brought in. They brought in another guy to direct and to finish it. And that guy, when Orson Welles has passed his prime, doesn't know what he's doing. So they made Charlton Heston and Janet Lee and the other actors go back and they rewrote the ending and rewrote some of the other parts. And so they had a reshoot, which you know they're used to putting all these actors' contracts that you might you might be forced to go and do a reshoot. So they did a reshoot, then they put the film together, and they edited it, and they released it, and it was an absolute... But they made it out like it was a big Orson Welles film, so it was a total flop. So uh, Welles went to go see the, uh, the release because they didn't tell him that they had done this. Or they kind of did secretly, right. and he didn't know. And he was, and he was, he was so, he was so angry when when he, he was uh, finished that, uh, and and he only saw it once. He wrote a fifty-seven page letter to whoever the head of the studio was, instructing him on how to fix the movie so that it would be watchable and it would be good, you know, because of all the scenes that they cut out and they rewrote and everything. Okay. So what happened was the studio told Orson Welles to go pound sand. It was probably like the end of, near the end of his career. And the letter was lost to the mist of time. Well, what happened was when they were cleaning the MGM lot out in like the late 90s, they found the film canisters, the original film canisters from the film, and the guy and whoever it was that was the studio boss or the uh, or the editor had taken Wells's 57-page and then, look, he wrote this out on a typewriter, single-spaced. Mm -hmm. 
50, 57 pages. So they took his 57-page uh, correction, and then, okay, we have all the film, so they got it developed, and they made a project out of it, these two mm -hmm. film school students, and that was their final project for their, to graduate from the UCLA film school, and they turned a movie in. And someone saw it and went like, okay, so that's how Orson wanted the film to be, and it was really good. So then it came back out in theaters, and more people went to go see it, <laughs> with the Orson Welles treatment 40 years later or uh, after the fact and then it became like a cult classic uh, and, uh, and all that so that's just one example wow. of, of a film that never stopped being made it took 40 years to finish it wow yeah. yes that's what you don't someone was writing in the in the chat room don't uh, have anyone do the misery treatment on you yes that that would be fairly nightmarish what do you mean they're, they're being hobbled I think, you, know, you know the thing where the, where the woman kidnaps the author. Yes. To try to force him to change the ending. The thing is, when when films when films and books don't end the way people expect, it does upset people a lot. I mean, I knew that my daughter had got to the bit in To Kill a Mockingbird when um, Tom Robinson dies mm -hmm. um, because of the look on her face. I came and said, oh, how are you getting on with the book? And just looked up at me, daggers. I went, oh, you're not very happy with the ending, are you? And she went, that's not how I thought it was going to end. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of, you feel, you feel let down by the author when it doesn't have the happy ending you were hoping for. Yeah, but you're not going to go back and rewrite the, the, the ending to, to Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I wouldn't dream of rewriting somebody else's book. I'm not even rewriting my books. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that could be a mystery novel for you, someone that's rewriting a... Uh, <laughs> uh, someone is, uh, that's been engaged to, write, to, to rewrite uh, famous mystery novels and then uh, the people that have been engaged to rewrite them start getting killed. And then a well, murder, then a mystery, a mysterious intrigue. Who's killing these revisionist authors? <laughs> that would certainly be interesting. You see? Yeah. All right. My fee is 15% of the take. <laughs> you can just, dream on. Just, yeah. just a mere 15%, just, just for getting the thought going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, um, well, okay. Have you ever, okay, have you ever read any Poe? Oh, yes. Okay. The Maggie, of the House of Usher and all that. Yes, which is uh, the Telltale Heart. Uh, these are early horror movies. I was petrified when I read Edgar Allan Poe. Well, I was scared that when I when I when I read uh, uh, the Telltale Heart, I can still remember, like in sixth, seventh grade or whenever, reading it, and I could and I could almost hear in my background that. Boom, boom. <laughs> the heart beating under the floorboards. Um, uh, John Cusack was in a movie that was really well done. What's it called? About uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, uh, uh, where um, um, uh, uh, so it's something about something that Poe's writing, and the, 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 somebody's trying to steal it or something. They're trying to set him up. I can't remember. Um, but John Cusack, the actor's in it, and it's very well done. It and it's it. Is it? Maybe it is the Raven. I think it is the movie. It's called the, the, the Nevermore. Uh, the the uh, the Raven. Have you seen it? No. You might actually like it. Yeah. It's I, more I, I, mis it's more mysterious intrigue and who done uh, and who done it than it is. They kind of take the story of the Raven and then they build another murder mystery around it. So Poe yeah. is writing the Raven at the time the film is set. Right. The the only ones I remember. Uh, the Fall of the House of Usher, The Vulture Eye, mm -hmm. 
and the one where he gets immured. So you never read the Telltale Heart? No, but I know, I know it. I know the story because it's quite famous. Yes. Um, the cops come in and they're just sitting there talking and the, the guy's going crazy because yeah. he can hear the, he thinks he can hear the beating heart. Yeah. Uh, the psychological thrillers are always the best. Yes, yes. Well, the, we could do entire shows on this. Do you, uh, okay, what was, I think it was the movie back with Michael. We were talking about Michael Caine last Michael week. Michael Caine, yeah. Michael Caine was in a movie around 1980 called Dressed to Kill. Do you remember it? No, I've, I've I've only watched a select number of Michael Caine's films, mostly older ones. Okay. Uh, so mostly new, more recent ones when he's older. So um, I remember going to see Dressed to Kill in the theater, and it was everybody was like, don't tell anyone the ending. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell people the ending. And you did. No, 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 absolutely no. No, no. Okay. no right. it would okay. ruin it. No, no, I won't tell you the ending because it would completely and totally ruin it. Okay. Uh, but it was, uh, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. The ending is in the title. So tell me the title again. Dressed to Kill. Okay. So, that's a big clue, is it, right? Yes. Um, I want to th say that that's a Jonathan Demme. It was a great uh, psychological suspense thriller director back in the 80s. That was a Jonathan Demme film. You might uh, you might like Dress to Kill. And because it was made in the 80s, it was before they started dropping all the F-bombs and all that stuff. You, you, you actually have to kind of figure this one out as you go. Okay. So uh, I challenge you to watch it and see if you figure it out before the end. Okay. So if you, if, if you can solve Dress to Kill before you get to the end, that'd be my challenge. Okay. So uh, so the, the, the South Africans are in tomorrow. We're back on schedule. Yep. And you'll see me again, hear from me again on Friday. We shall do that. Uh, au revoir, ma, uh, madame. A bientôt. Uh, it is. I will do the, the um, ending in French one day. It is 32 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from rainy England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com. And the chat room is open for your commentary at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the King Dude. Mike Church himself, you're listening to the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. Mm -hmm.